Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for today. As you have a quick seat, I I just want to talk through how perfect a transition song. I really hope I got the right song as well. Okay, good. How perfect this song is in transition right now. Um, For those of you who are not familiar with Christian lingo, this whole idea of fighting on your knees is not this picture of literally choosing kind of a to handicap yourself a little bit and and be lower down. This is a, a a talking about praying, and this is. This is coming for, come before God and having Him fight the fights for you. And we're about to transition to, into a time of praying for our kids going off to camp. But you know what? When it comes to praying and having God intervene and do the work in our kids' lives, I think we need this in our, our families as well. Where too often, and, and I know that um, as a parenting couple, Carolyn and I look back and and there's times where we, we work so hard to create these well-rounded kids. We wanted to give them every opportunity. We wanted to build their confidence. And we did so much work. And you know what? I make it sound like I'm really regretful. I, I love the way our kids turned out, and I love, I love our, our parenting journey. But I know that there have been times where we've tried to bear the burden that was God's to bear. And that we've tried to shape our kids in a way that would be better served being shaped by the Father. And so this idea of of doing the work and fighting our battles on our knees, crying out to God to do the work, crying out to God to shape our kids, is, is something that I would love more for our families. And for those of you who are a little bit behind us, have younger kids, um... That would be my charge, my prayer for you, is be praying for them. Fight on your knees. Bring it before the Father. Cry out to Him to, to do the work in the lives of our kids. And we're going to do that right now. Um, this is a part of our, our regular service where every week we, we gather and we, we activate you as the saints to be praying for something rather. And this week, we've got some fun stuff happening. We've got our kids heading off to summer camp. We've actually, uh, so we've been praying for them, we've actually got our classics, which is our adopted name for our seniors or our 50, 50 plus group. They're off to camp too. They're going to day camp. I think that's this week, right, Dad? Yeah, this week. So we can be praying for our, our older kids too. Um, and then next week, our youth will be off to camp. So this is a time where I, I'd love for us to gather and be praying for uh, our kids off to camp. If you've got a kid of yours handy that you can lay hands on, uh, we want to bless them. And uh, if you are a kid, you can pray for yourselves too. Uh, you're welcome to pray. But the way we do this is if you feel like you've got a word for, for our group, just stand where you're at and pray loud enough that we can all agree with you and, and hear you. And then when we've had enough time, I'll, I'll close in prayer. So let's pray together. I don't know if all of you know that Ryan and Tawny are our camp speakers this year. So if I can get some of the kids to kind of gather around Ryan and Tawny, lay hands on them, let's just pray a blessing on them as well. 
kids, and I know some of you parents are big fans of theirs. If you want to lay hands on them too, you can. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that keeps on giving in Pepper and Hattrick here at Northridge. And uh, Lord, we, we know that they have been obedient. We know that they have been industrious. They put in the hard work. They've done all the planning. So Father, I pray that as they drive up to Stillwood this week, they would be getting filled up with Holy Spirit confidence to know that this is your thing, that you are the one that goes before us. You are the one who is going to do the calling in the lives of these kids. You are the one who's going to sow the seeds. You're the one who's going to till that soil. And, and you're going to do the heavy lifting in their lives. But their, their calling and their job is to be obedient, which they've done. So fill them with confidence that what they're doing is not in their own strength. But they are, they are sharing a yoke with you. And we know that your yoke is easy because you are the strong one. And so we pray blessings on Rayantani that they would feel your presence in a way they haven't felt it before during this week of camp. And that where, where normally this should be exhausting, Lord, this would be life-giving and filling for them. Bless them. Bless our, our counselors, our LTPs, our leaders, and bless our kids. We also pray a special blessings on our classics off to Main Island this week. Bless them and just give them a time of, of drawing together and drawing near to you. Bless the service in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. With that, I think our middle schoolers, you are blessed and released. Um, hey, but look at me right now. Good job. Good pause. I have something for you. In fact, Declan, come here. This is your job. Oh, you've taken quite a route to get here. I've got, for every camper and leader, I've got, um, oh, yeah, there you go, good job. I've got a, um, a sheet of paper, and you've got to find those peeper, people and give them to them. And when they return on September 3rd, we're going to hear testimony from them. They don't know that yet. They're going to find that out right now. So you can go to your classes. Declan's got stuff for you, and he'll pass it off to you. Declan, whatever you don't hand out, um, I will deal with at the end. Thanks, Katie. Um, apparently, I should pray for the offering. So uh, let, me, let me just quickly pray for that as well. Father, we thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh, that you provide, and we give back to you. Uh, we give what is already yours. In the same way that we pray for our kids, and we know that they are yours, and we are our caretakers in their lives, we pray blessings on this time of offering. In Jesus' name, amen. They do that because they're not quite confident that I'm going to remember that, that we usually receive tithes and offerings at this time. So I don't blame them. Good job. Um, I only have one announcement. And it's the announcement we've been sharing for the last little bit. We are celebrating our 15th anniversary. Josiah, I feel really obnoxiously loud. Do you mind turning me down just a little bit, please? Thank you. We're celebrating our... That's perfect. Uh, we're cel celebrating our 15th anniversary on September 10th. And we are really looking forward to gathering. Uh, we're going to have a translator. We're going to have our Spanish service with us. We're going to have SNL as a part of the service. We're going to eat. And there's going to be a bouncy castle. So what more could you ask for? All right, so September 10th, put that on the calendar. Do not miss out on that opportunity. All right, at this time, and hopefully they walk really slowly so I can set up the chairs, uh, this summer we've been doing a summer series called Stories where we've been hearing stories from different people from the church congregation, and then we've been telling stories of, of people that we can learn about in the Bible, and we're going to do that again today. But today, I'm really excited to introduce to you 
Mr. and Mrs. Terry and Pat Scott. Come on up. Terry chicken out? Pardon? Did Terry chicken out? Yeah. Oh, you need <laughs> I'm gonna let you. Yeah, you're so scared. It's okay, he's an athlete. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. Do you mind testing that mic just to make sure that we got. Hello. Oh, that's perfect. Well, we got to go over to Pat and Terry's yesterday uh, to pick, they were donating some clothing for the, for the guys last night, and we got to see. Pat's gallery. She is a prolific painter. Holy smokes, prolific and talented painter. We actually saw some of your work at the uh, silent auction and uh, got to hear a little bit about their story and drink their coffee. I'll tell you what, if, if you get a chance to drink some of Terry's coffee, that's also a thing I highly recommend. So uh, today, I'd like to hear from you guys. And I have no idea how this is going. They should write a book about their, their journeys individually and together. And uh, so we'll get to hear a little bit of it today. And I've forewarned them. Our, our, our formula is, what was life like before Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And what's the difference he's made in your life today? So with that, I've wound you up. You're released. <laughs> Where do you start? Well, there's been so many seasons and chapters in my life that it would each one would take a whole session to talk about. So... I'm just going to say that when, start at the beginning where it started, Terry and I, this is where I'm gonna start my story, um, met. And before that and after that, it was just lots of drinking. We're both alcoholics. We've been sober for over 50 years. Uh, yeah, but um, it was drinking and some drugs and, and lots of partying and, and whatever. And uh, so it was a pretty violent, three or four years before we became sober and straightened our, our life around a little bit. But when I met Terry, um, I was driving a coffee wagon in Vancouver and working in a nightclub, and we had a night off because a uh, conference was canceled. So I went with a friend down across the line to Blaine, and uh, we had a few drinks down there, and all of a sudden these two fellows walked in. This had been a, a setup that I wasn't aware of, wasn't happy about. And uh, it, it was her boyfriend, and he brought Terry with him. And uh, so anyway, I wasn't overly friendly. I didn't want to meet anybody. I didn't want to be with anybody. And so anyway, he said, uh, would you like to dance? And I said, no. <laughs> and he says, come on, don't be like that. He said, it's just a dance. So I said, all right. So we were dancing, and he said, can I tell you something? And I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to marry you. First, first, first minute, first minute. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't think so. I said, I've been married. I said, I don't want that again. I said, I have five children. He said, I like children. <laughs> so I said, well, I'm still not going to marry you. I said, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. Plus, you can't dance. <laughs> he was all over my feet. But anyway, to make a long story short, 57 years, here we are. But, yeah, so anyway, the, um, we had bought a resort up in Yak, B.C. I don't know if anybody knows where that is, but it's between Creston and Cranbrook. 
and we bought 150 acres up there and we decided we were going to go back and live off the land, and uh, which we did. We had pigs and cows and chickens and half of them walked down the highway and they kept getting out and it was just a real um, crazy place and crazy years. And we met a lot of hippies down there and uh, we had a lot of fun, a lot of potluck dinners, pot dinners. A lot of pot dinners. We got to know all these hippies and a lot of them are, were very talented, great piano players, guitar players, singers, and so we had a lot of jams out in our field and we had luas, buried pigs, and, and just had a great time. It was a good time in our life. But you know, all through my life, I wasn't raised in a religious family. Uh, they never spoke of God. They didn't drink. They didn't smoke. They were very straight people. And, uh, and I wanted that excitement. I had that inside of me that I just, I wanted to be where the fun was. And so I just um, went a little crazy for a few years. But in all that time, I realized now God had his hand upon me. And I remember going to Sunday school when I was about seven years old with a neighbor friend. And they gave us a little picture to color of Jesus knocking on the door. I think we still use that sometimes in Sunday school. And I remember the Sunday school teacher said to me, do you know what he's doing? And I said, no. She said, he's knocking on the door to your heart. Would you open that door and let him in? And I said, yes. And I believe that's where I got saved. And I think that God watched over my whole life. And Terry was a very violent drinker, not violent with me, but just a violent drinker and uh, a fighter. And that was part of his. I'm going to let him tell his own thing. But when I... We were doing all these things, and yet in my mind all the time I kept thinking, is this what life is all about? Like, there's got to be something more. And like Terry always says, he always felt there was that emptiness, that little spot inside of him that never was filled. And when, when I accepted Christ, that was for me too. And when I accepted Christ, um, that spot was filled instantly. We had studied with the reincarnation, Scientology, Jehovah Witness, Mormons, you name it. We, we were searching. And anybody who's searching in those areas, I never look down on that because they're searching. And if they're searching, they're going to get found. And so when, when I heard the, the gospel and the message, I knew that's what it was. I knew it was true, and that's what I'd been looking for. So anyway, we were all, like I said, crazy, us hippies. And so everybody was dancing and singing and praising the Lord. And we didn't talk English anymore. It was, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, Terry came come home from commercial fishing, and he thought we had all gone crazy. <laughs> and he said, I don't need none of this. And he said, I can believe in God, but I'm not going to go crazy like that. And so anyway, I remember going over to this little log cabin. We had to go across the, the bridge to get to this cabin. And uh, we were praying there, and I said, Lord, you said that anything we ask for according to your will, you would, if we ask in the name of Jesus, you would hear us and answer that prayer. And I said, so, I said, I'm believing that. And I said, if it's not true, then your word's a lie. And I said, so it's either truth or a lie. And I said, we've done everything together. We quit drinking together. We quit smoking together. I said, we can't have that wall between us. You have to save Terry. And within a week, he was saved. 
And so anyway, the, I'm going to give this to Terry now, and she can tell you his well, real fun story. Yeah, just before you do, um, no, you can keep holding it, Terry. Uh, Terry brought with him some pictures that we don't have a way of sharing up here, but I got two comments. First of all, the, the picture of you as a group of hippies is quite something. Like, that's you got to ask to see that picture. The second is... I don't know how you weren't tripping over yourself. He was a good-looking guy. He looked like every depiction of white Jesus. Like, uh, and, y y yeah, and uh, I, I, I would have married him. So, anyways. Uh, so, Terry, yeah, thanks. That's awesome, Pat. Thank you. Well, I'll go back a little further for a minute. I was brought up in a great home, good parents like Pat. Uh, started to work young at 9 or 10 for my parents, and I was in a very athletic family. Me and my brothers were... Uh, gifted athletes, particularly my, my two brothers, but all of us played a lot of sports. And uh, we were having a great life and uh, winning all kinds of awards. And, and uh, when I was about 15 years old, I took a bus with a friend of mine who went on to greatness, but I took a bus and we used to go down to Skid Row in Vancouver and uh, get off the bus and drink because we never had a driver's license and they'd let us in. The very, very first time we went there, I blacked out. And I, of course, I didn't know what a blackout was, so I thought that's normal. We get home, and so we get on that bus, and we go down there. And I was very smart in school, and uh, and uh, it started to I watched this deterioration in my life. And I'll just say, if anyone's got any drinking issues or anything, alcohol is a taker. It'll take your life, your wife, your friends, your driver's license, your car your family, it'll take everything. It's a taker, it's not a giver. It doesn't add, it subtracts. Wow. So, so for me, I started to go downhill and I was in grade 12, I was thinking of going in to be a uh, marine biologist, went out to UBC and looked around and we got in a real bad fight. And uh, the police were looking for me, so I went into hiding. And I never finished school and I started playing, uh, I hustled pool, but I started playing poker for a living. When I was about 18, and uh, it's kind of like the traveling musician when you're playing poker for a living in these clubs, and sometimes I used to go two or three days without ever going to bed. And when you're doing that, you're drinking all the time, you're progressive. I ended up with uh, alcoholic poisoning, uh, all kinds of issues, but on November 3rd, uh, 1968, and I could tell a million stories, but uh, he found me in the shadows that you were you were singing about in the corner, the shadow in the corner. And uh, he, he found uh, us and we sobered up and I believe it saved my life. I was, uh, I, I wouldn't tell you how many hundreds of fights I was in, but uh, it just, it just, he just, we got sober, but we were, I was still the same guy. And if you know anything about AA, it's, uh, I was pretty happy to be in it. And I was sober eight months and Pat got up and she left me. And uh, she said, I'm not going to live like this. Like, I was still going to the racetrack. I was still gambling every day and, you know, still getting in trouble. And uh, so anyhow, I'll never forget. I hope I don't cry. But on November 3rd, 1969, I got my first year cake. And, and my wife, Pat, come there and signed the card. I hadn't seen her for four months. And she signed the card in her, in her maiden name. And... I had to get up and tell everybody, just like this, how it worked. You know, how champs over here, isn't this exciting? But it wasn't exciting. It was a real bad time. And anyhow, I, I uh, got my cake, and we got back together uh, a couple months later, or a month later, and uh, we've been to 
together ever since, but uh, it ended up being a time where I had to take a hard look at myself, like the Italian A or you learn in life, or I had to take a hard look at who I was, and I had to transform, I had to change, and if I didn't change, I wasn't going to make it. I could tell you stories one time, because I was a gambler, we went to, I'll tell you a quick story, we went down to Santa Anita to bet George Royal, and you probably don't know that horse unless you're old, the great horse, and uh, from there, we went down into Mexico, and I got thrown in jail in Tijuana. Think about that one for a while, how hard it is to get out of jail in Tijuana. But it was just trouble, trouble, trouble. But anyhow, we started to rebuild our life, and, and uh, then we got saved. But I'll, uh, Pat already talked about it. You want me to talk a bit about getting saved? Yeah, please. Yeah, well, so anyhow, so we were, in, with all the hippies, there was, you don't want me to touch it? <laughs> Oh, sorry, honey. I thought it was the first date. <laughs> but Pat's okay, right. I got to interject here. She can't talk because when we were over there for coffee, she had her feet up on his lap. So <laughs> she's just as bad as he, and they're both pretty handsy. She I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it was time. <laughs> but it, but anyhow, uh, as Pat said, they they got saved, and I thought I don't want any of this crap. I don't know what you guys are up to. They don't push it my way. And uh, they were in Cranbrook, and I got off the boats, and I decided to drive into Cranbrook. There was a big meeting. It was in a hall about three times as big as this, great big revival meeting. And, and as true as I'm standing here, I was leaning against the back wall, and all of a sudden I could see, and we had, weren't smoking dope or anything. And as I could see across right in front of me the words, Jesus, Jesus. It was like a neon sign, and it kept growing bigger and bigger. And, and then I started, I guess it was speaking in tongues, kind of, and I started, and I went, what's happening to me? And Pat, nobody knew I was there, and the guy at the front says, anyone want to give their life to the Lord? And I screamed at the top of my voice, I do. And I ran, <laughs> I ran down the front, and when I got there, I fell on the ground, and, and uh, I got up and <laughs> fell on the ground. I got up, and Pat and all, I wondered what I was doing, you know, because I kept falling down, and I was speaking in tongues, and... And I was laying there after the fourth time, and I thought, Lord, you're going to take care of me. You know, I just knew I don't have to be a tough guy. I don't have to be anything. You're going to keep me safe. And so we got up, and quickly tell you, we uh, started a little church, uh, our neighbors and us, and uh, saw a couple hundred people get saved. We bought a building in the first year, uh, or a year later, seven working families, and we paid for it in a year. We uh, saw miracle after miracle after miracle, and uh, it ended up being uh, a wonderful time. And uh, I'll talk a bit about the third part because I know it's going to get long, so I'm going to quickly. Uh, while we were in in Yak, we got saved. We almost lost our home. We had a our resort and our home. We ended up getting saved that April, March, and. Uh, in May, my wonderful Deborah, her father, and I went in the lumber business. She sent me some lumber to help me. We didn't go in the lumber business because we wanted to close in our house so we wouldn't freeze to death. And I rolled a semi-load on the, on the road on the right beside Highway 3 and in the ditch. And then they come along to get it off there, and I couldn't take it off. I had no forklift by hand. We were packing it up the hill, and people came along and said, you want to buy that? And uh, it, within two years, we were doing two million a year in sales. And it was, it was like a miracle. And it was almost unbelievable. We couldn't even believe what was happening. And, and uh, 
we were just transformed beyond belief and we had a standing deal. Anyone want a job? This in the late 70s. Uh, I'll give you 10 bucks an hour if you want to work for four, four hours or four days or four months. So we gave anyone a job that wanted a job. And so we ended up building a lot of buildings we didn't need because people needed work. And, uh, but it just uh, ended up being a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, time. And uh, I know that nearness to God is our good. And I, I would, would quickly say that, uh, in, I think it's Psalm 41. It's more than one psalm that God picked me out of the muck and mire. And I have a, a rock in my office. And it has two hands two hands reaching up, and I know he picked us up, and I know he, he got a hold of us and, and cared for us and loved us, and and you can tell about maybe for a minute, because we're probably almost there. Don't, we worry, about about it, one minute. don't worry about it, yeah. You can tell about adopting the girls, how we went to yeah. Haiti, but so we had five kids. That's a big story. <laughs> tell it quickly. Um, these are all mini books. <laughs> yeah, these are all mini books. Um, our assistant pastor, when we started pastoring the church in Creston, our assistant pastor uh, went to Haiti for three years. They signed up to go there and work as missionaries. Well, they wanted us to come and see the work that they were doing there because we were supporting them and we were recovering. And so we went there, and uh, while we were in the plane, I said, I have a feeling our, our life is never going to be the same. <laughs> I just had that feeling something was going to happen. And Sure enough, we got there, and I think it was the second day that we were there, they overthrew the government and drove out the valley wow. they were thrown in, in 86. 86. And we were up in a little village in the mountain. We didn't even know that the Canadians and Americans had been evacuated. We and had no power, eh? no, no, nothing. no electricity. And uh, so then, anyway, they um, declared martial law, so we couldn't get off of the island. And while we were there, this fellow uh, sent a, a, a little runner, uh, one of his kids down to the compound where we were staying and asked if we would come up and see him because he's dying. And he's not, didn't die, but everybody thought he was dying. He was pretty sick. And we went up there and um, he had um, some eight or nine kids and little babies, twins, little girls. They were sitting out, well, they couldn't really sit, but they were outside in the dirt just they were 13 pounds and 14 pounds, and they were 16 months old. Wow. And uh, they were just little bellies, actually. Couldn't stand up. And he said, will you take my kids to Canada? And we said, we can't take them. You know, they wouldn't let us bring the kids to Canada, uh, even if we wanted to. And uh, they, would have to be our, they would have to be our kids. And he said, well, we could do that. And I said, you know, so he said, would you take our kids and if, if it could be done? And uh, Terry said, what do you think? And say, We're standing here. He's looking at us. All, you know. So we, <laughs> we, didn't, think We're at. We're at. we yeah. didn't think it would be possible anyway, so we said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so to make a long story short, he had an uncle who was a lawyer who knew a judge who was a – so it all was legal, and, and all the papers were done and everything. We adopted these two little girls in nine days, and uh, we brought them out of Haiti. And uh, we already had grandchildren. Our kids were all growing up, grown up and gone. We had our grandchildren, and we were 40. I think I was 45 when, 46 when we adopted these little girls. And today they're both in the medical field and doing wonderful. And, and it was just a – and so we built a school there. Terry rode a bicycle across Canada from sea to sea and uh, raised money, and we built a school, and we supported it for 35 years there still. And uh, it's just – that's the passion behind my painting. 
because half of everything that I sell goes to Haiti. I know that. Off the sauce house. That's true. So if I sell a $2,000 painting, they get 1000 before I even down to candles, paintings, or anything. So that's why God's blessed me so much wow. with selling. And uh, so anyway, that's the story about our little girls. We never had kids, Carrie and I, so it was like God said, if they're not yours, not his, they are a gift from me. Wow. Raise them in a godly home. And we did. And one more thing I want to say. Another miracle in our life that happened was our niece, who we love. She brought and lived with us quite a while and led her to the Lord. And she has her own story and hopes that one day we'll ask her to share it. But she's a walking miracle, our Deb Deborah there. <laughs> and uh, we're just so proud of her today. So wonderful. That's amazing. I love the throwaway comment, you biked across Canada to raise money for a school in Haiti. I was only oh, 55, it was all right. Only 55? Yeah, I got three years to train, I guess, okay. Um, do you have more to add? As to what we're saying here? Yeah. No, just uh, we have grateful hearts for the Lord, and uh, I just know that uh, for us, there was the day we were saved, we've never lost our hunger for God, we've never lost our excitement for God, and he's never let us down. You know, we're going through health problems, all kinds of issues, but we just love him unconditionally, and uh, no matter what happens, he sits on the throne, and he picks us out of the shadows, and we're grateful for that. That's awesome. Before you go, let's pray for you. Um, and just before we pray, uh, you'll remember we were praying for Pat and Terry just a couple of weeks ago. And a bit of an answer to prayer, because you're quite nervous about your dizziness and your, your cough, and, and you're still in a battle with cancer, yeah. but uh, man, yeah. you're, you're battling with a big backpack of hope on the back too, and so we want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for this couple, and we thank you for the narrative of their life, uh, these impossible things, um, finding uh, a spouse in a minute, <laughs> and having 57 years uh, together so far and uh, a nine-day gestation period for starting a family. These, these little miracles, Father, we, we thank you for the way you've orchestrated everything. Uh, we thank you for the philanthropic heart that you, uh, you built into them as you knit them in, in their mother's womb, something that was there long before they even met you, Father. And we thank you for the way you've leveraged that for the kingdom um, ever since. So, Father, we pray blessings on them. We pray blessings on their tribe. We Having been blessed to be at Terry's uh, 80th birthday, we know the people that are surrounding and who love this couple, and we pray for all of them. Um, and again, we pray for this future ahead of them, Lord, that you would continue to minister uh, to them and through them and bless us as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, you guys. Give them a big hand. Holy moly. I, there's like nine chapters of your life that you didn't even touch on. That uh, Oh, this picture, by the way, I really found it really hard to creep a good picture of them. That's from 2015 from, I think, Pat's Facebook. <laughs> so I had to work hard to get that one. I almost went back. There's, uh, if you go to Pat's um, gallery website, there's a picture of the two of you early, early days, probably when you were 45. Um, from uh, just talking about your ministry in Haiti and stuff like that. So um, please ask about the pictures, ask about their ministry in life, and I'm going to preach starting at 
11.55. And you know what? It's, a, it's good. It, this is a story about, today we're talking about Peter. And um, <clears throat> we're looking at a man who had two very different names and lived two very different lives, really. He was born Simon. He was a fisherman. And Simon, uh, if, if, you, if you do the, the reading, you'll find that name. Uh, and the guys from Hope for Freedom are way ahead of you guys, by the way. We, we taught on Matthew 25 last night. And, and that's also, for those of you who are OCD and notice that the stage is off-center, we had a baptism tank here last night. We dunked two guys, and uh, we saw a few people uh, commit their lives to Jesus. So it was quite a, quite a night. I just didn't fix it. But they heard all about this Peter. And uh, they learned that Simon meant kind of like wimpy, withery reed. And later his name became Peter, which Cephas is, means rock. And when, when Jesus called him Peter, it was this prophetic word over him that he would fulfill these prophetic ideals for Peter and the start of the church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the book of Matthew at first, but we're going to blitz through some different parts of Matthew, and I'm going to read to you beginning in Matthew 4. Verse 18 says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and, and their father and followed him. Uh, so right at the, the, the beginning of this, we see that Jesus sees these brothers, but this is not the first time that he's seen them. This is not the kind of initial meeting he had had. Um, you can read in John and in Luke um, where Jesus had this encounter with them. But this is where they called them. And this is Peter getting off to a great start. I don't know how you would do with this, but Peter had, had seen Jesus do the miraculous. He'd, he'd heard a bit of his teaching. But when Jesus called him, Peter said yes, like immediately. Kind of the opposite of Pat where she said no when, when she was first called by Terry. He said yes, and he dropped everything. Let that sink in just for a little bit. What that looks like in your life today to say, yes, I'm going to follow, fill in the blanks, and I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to just go. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm not going to go home, pack my bags, or say goodbye. I'm just going to follow. And that's what Peter did. He was off to a good start. He was being obedient. Then we go to Matthew 14, verse 25. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. The disciples were terrified. This makes sense, right? You do not expect to see somebody walking literally on the water towards you in the night. They thought it was a ghost, and they were freaked out. But Peter demonstrated, again, this is a good moment for Peter. He demonstrated this, I put it in quotation marks, this following faith. Again, just as he followed Jesus immediately, without hesitation, without thought, he wanted to follow Jesus again. While the disciples were freaked out, he's like, I want in. I want to, I want to do what you're doing, Jesus. 
and he asked to walk with Jesus on the water. Further in 14, it says this, he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This is something we see in Peter over and over. Peter had great intentions. Again, his first response was, I want to I follow you. I want to do what you're doing. Take me with you. I want to come out onto the water. I want to walk in the water. And he was kind of full of this, this bluster and confidence in this God, in this Jesus. But then the human side, the Simon side of him, kind of rose up and he was overcome with fear and doubt. And this is an illustration that we could preach a sermon series on. The difference between Peter locking eyes with Jesus, say, take me with you, I want to follow you. And then Peter's eyes getting distracted by, by life, by the things around us, by the things that give us, cause fear and doubt. And as soon as Peter's eyes came off him, he started to sink. But Jesus, he saved him nonetheless. Matthew 16, two chapters later, in verse 13, says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to him, but who do you say that I am? Simon, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So there's two significant things happening here. Uh, though others are a little bit confused, they describe all these other people around that are talking and murmuring about who this Jesus could be. Peter got it, and he got it with an incredible clarity. He didn't just identify him as Jesus. He identified him as Jesus, Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. He knew not only who he was, but he knew what Jesus' calling and mission was here on earth. It was an incredible revelation, and it was one that the disciples struggled through even unto Jesus' death, understanding that he genuinely was the Messiah, the one who comes to save. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is this. Peter entered into his Roman name, Cephas, of Peter. This, is the, this was the time when, when Jesus changed his name, that you're no longer Simon. We're not going by that old name anymore. That's not who you are. Or that's not who I have for you to be. You are Peter. You're the opposite of a withering reed. You are a rock. But then he doubled down and he prophesied over Peter. He said, and on this rock, I will build my church. It's you, you are going to play a big role. You're going to play a big part in the beginning of the church. And that becomes important. He started to refer to him as Peter. All right, verse 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So the time was drawing near when, when Jesus would be arrested, tried, and crucified. Jesus saw it coming. He, he knew what it meant for him to be in Jerusalem at this time. He knew also that his disciples were about to scatter instead of rally. And you, I kind of understand, these people have literally walked and lived with Jesus for the last three years. They have left everything to sit under Jesus, sit under his teaching, watch him perform the miraculous. They have had front row seats for all of it. And in Jesus' time of need, Jesus knew that they were just going to scatter, that they were going to fail this test of, of loyalty. Now, Peter was probably a little bit offended. Uh, he wanted to correct Jesus and let him know that he had Jesus' back. He might have even, in the back of his mind, and maybe if the, if the dialogue was a little bit longer, he might have even reminded Jesus, no, Jesus, remember, I'm the rock. You called me the rock. I am, I am the rock. That's not a rock voice. That's an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. But uh, I, I am the rock, and, and I've got a future with you. I won't let anything happen to you. And he kind of got full of bravado and, and confidence, but Jesus went on to correct Peter. He prophesied that Peter would, in fact, deny him three times before the rooster crowed the next morning, which must have been a real slap in the face to poor Peter. So you're reading Matthew 26, verse 47 now. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest, servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Now here in Matthew, it doesn't describe that sword stealer and cutter offer of ears as Peter, but in John, we know that it's Peter who's the one who does that, cuts off his ear. And again, we see this flash of boldness in the life of Peter, where it's like he is, he is honoring his claim that he's, he's got Jesus back. Nobody's going to take my Jesus. I'm going to chop off their ear and I'm ready to fight. But that's not what Jesus had called Peter to do. And so um, Jesus had to correct him. This isn't the kind of having his back that Jesus was looking for. I'm going to do a little bit of reading now. Still in Matthew 26, verse 69, goes like this. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. They began be, to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. 
carrying on in verse 26, and immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Can you even imagine, we, this is the part where we ended last night at SNL, that low point in, in Peter's life, where Peter had committed his life to following this Jesus. And in the, the, the moment where Jesus needed him most, where Jesus needed a friend, Jesus needed support. And I say needed in the sense that this is what we would need in our humanity. Jesus, he was covered. God, God had his back. But Peter denied him three times. Three times he said, I don't even know the guy. And then just hearing that rooster crow, cock-a-doodle-doo, whatever, I don't know what, the, what you say a rooster does, but when the rooster made his morning sound, that just must have been like a, a gut punch to Peter, remembering the prophecy over him, that in fact he would deny him three times, and it happened. He did it. He failed. And we think about how the story ended for Judas, where he couldn't bear under the weight of, of how he had let Jesus down, and he ended his life. And it makes me wonder, and this is just David inserting his, his thought life into them. I wonder how close Peter was to just realizing what a failure he was. How he was Simon and not the rock. He was not acting as a Peter. Um, there's a, a gap in Peter's story in this next bit that I, I can't just kind of gloss over. Uh, we talked about this last night at SNL, the, the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. We didn't get quite that far, but the story goes on. Jesus was tried, crucified, buried in a tomb, and then he defeated death to rise again three days later. I didn't think I should just kind of yada, yada, yada over that part. That, that, saying, that seemed uh, significant. Uh, after Jesus' resurrection, he met with the disciples, he walked with them, and he taught them. And, he, and this is very public. This is not something that was this, a private secret meeting. He started to appear to hundreds of people and taught. And this is all before he ascended to be with the Father. But before he ascended to be with the Father, he left the disciples with some instruction. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait for me there. Just wait. Be in prayer and, and, and wait. And I, and I shouldn't have said wait for me. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send something that's going to be even better than this, this season of walking with me. So they did that, and that's when everything changed in the book of Acts. And so now we're going to quickly jump over to Acts 2, and it goes like this. And this is as they were waiting. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So while they were doing what they were called to do, the Holy Spirit came. Jesus had promised it, and his promise has always come true. It would have been quite a ruckus, this whole, this sound, just the, the thundering sound of a wind filling the room, and, and, and then the, the tongues of fire uh, that sat on their head, and then they just started to speak. 
filled with the Holy Spirit, started speaking these other languages. And it was enough of a ruckus that the people outside of the building could hear them. And not only could they hear noise, but these were people that were kind of coming to Jerusalem from all over the world. And they could hear these Gentiles, excuse me, these Galileans, different G word, these Galileans speaking their language. And they were, they were so confused, like, how is this happening? How is this going on? Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Familia, Pamphylia, excuse me, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Let's keep going. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So you get some people who are amazed, but then you get these people, when you don't understand it, you start to poke holes. Others, mocking, said, well, they're filled with new wine. They're drunk, is their explanation. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, we're not going to go into this next section of Scripture where, where Peter boldly quotes from the prophet Joel. But I think this is the point I want to point out here. First of all, yeah, you've got this tension. Now, it's, we're talking about thousands of people who have gathered and are affected by this. And they're starting to kind of try and explain away what is going on, how they could hear all these different things. And, and, and some people are kind of starting to poke holes in it. And they're saying, oh, they're drunk. Don't listen to that. They're just, these guys are just, they're probably missing their Jesus and they're loaded this time in the morning. And where once Peter would have withered like Simon the reed and kind of faded into the shadows... Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he was truly the Peter that Jesus had prophesied that he would be. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he had the strength of the rock, and he stood before these thousands of people, and he started to explain the mighty works of God, and he preaches this incredible message from uh, the prophet Joel. Uh, at this time, I want to invite the worship team up as I, I'm going to keep reading through here in Acts 2. This is now after he, is, he is, has quoted from Joel, and this is kind of his summative statements here. He says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this wicked, this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Before I go into my notes, I want to kind of pick up where Megan we didn't talk about some of the scriptures she shared and, and the words she had for us this morning. But what she was saying is exactly what Peter was saying. It was this calling to turn from your sin. We, we taught just last night about repentance, how we walk in sin towards death. And we're being called by Jesus to repent, to turn away from our sin, to stop doing that. 
Stop walking that way to repent, turn 180 degrees, and start to walk as a new creation towards life and light. And this is what Peter boldly, he called out sin. He said, this isn't, the, this isn't what God has for you. He's got something way better for you. Change your life. And you know what it's like. If anybody asks you to change anything, you kind of start to dig your heels in. Oh, I like the way I am. Or are you, are you suggesting that the way I am isn't good enough? It's a, it's a bold, it's a difficult calling. But he called them to change, to repent and walk in a new way. And it's not because he was eloquent. It's not because he was the rock. But because the Holy Spirit ministering to these people, 3,000 people received his word and were baptized that day. This was the beginning of the church and the fulfillment of the prophetic word over Peter that on this rock, Jesus was going to build his church. It was the start of what we're doing today. Yeah, it looks different today than it did then. But the church started that day with the power through Peter uh, by the Holy Spirit. With that in mind, let's stand and let's respond in worship. And then I've got uh, just a little bit more for you. Amen. Jesus, you are the reason that we can gather here today. You're the reason we have hope, hope for a future. We give you the highest praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a, have a quick seat. I've just got a little bit more. I want to just kind of debrief, wrap up this whole thing. Though Peter knew Jesus and believed he was the Messiah, he understood who this Jesus was. He was still Simon in his own strength. Filled with the Spirit, he became the man that Jesus envisioned him and prophesied over him to be. He became the rock on which Jesus was going to establish his church. Now again, imagine Peter at his lowest. Now imagine had he given in to perhaps the urges uh, to end it all, to, to, to just wallow in that lowness and feel the full effect of that lowness and end it all. Can you imagine the story that wouldn't have got told? Now what we believe is the father would have chosen somebody else and, and worked through somebody else, but man... The story that we tell in Peter, and he's not done yet. In fact, Peter continued to minister until 64 years after Jesus when he was eventually, the, the, the world had had enough of him. And he was set to be crucified just like Jesus. And he said, no, 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 no. I, I can't even, that would be too much of an honor for me. And so the, the story goes that he asked to be crucified on a cross upside down so that he, he wouldn't be seen the same of Jesus. This was the rock filled with the Spirit. This was the fullest transformation from, from Simon to Peter. He is the perfect example of what, of what life can look like before and after being filled with the Spirit and having that strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. Life is hard. It gives us plenty of reasons to give up. But Peter is an example of why we need to persevere and hold on to God's promises for us. Let me bless you with this. We've got this final blessing. May we cling to Holy Spirit strength to persevere through the hard times so that we can see God's promises fulfilled in our lives. And I want to speak that over you. I, I had a conversation with, with mom this week. Um, I don't know how, how many of you know the mom's a, a cancer survivor. And I remember 
a part of her procedure, they, they nicked something in her spine. I'm probably telling the story wrong, Mom, sorry. And there was some fluid leaking into her body that just made her incredibly sick. And I remember at RCH seeing her, and she was done. She was, she was ready to go. And honestly, I think she was probably at peace with God. It's like, take me now because what's here on earth for me right now is, is not as good as I know what I'm going to have when I'm with you for eternity. And she was ready to go. And how many years ago was that? 18? 18 years ago. If you look at her story, her chapters in the last 18 years, the wake of influence and effect that God still had for her to walk out. There was some Peter life that he had for her. And man, church, too often our people get claimed in their low part and we don't, we don't get to live out the rest of that Peter life. And there are hopes and promises that God has for you going forward. There's a reasonable hope for your life going forward. There are things that we have to do that he's calling us to do and will equip us to do through his Holy Spirit. And I don't want you to miss out on that. So if you're at a spot where you're at, at your absolute lowest, one of the reasons we share our stories is because the more you turn the lights on in your life and share your stories, the more walls are broken down between us. And if you've got a story to share um, and you need to talk to somebody about where you're at right now, if you're at that low point, let us encourage you. Let us fill you and point to the hope that you have going forward. But for now, I just want to bless you or I want to tell you how blessed you are. Be blessed and have a wonderful week. Be praying for our kids at camp. Be praying for our classics at camp. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for our main service. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, or if you just want to talk to someone about what you've heard on this podcast, please email us at info at nrchurch.ca. We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed.